thank you for this opportunity to be here for a great day, for this class, for your word, for your Holy Spirit who teaches us. Open our hearts, our minds, help us to understand. And thank you for this opportunity to study in Christ's name. Amen. We also have handouts up here for the last two weeks. If you're missing any, there's some down there and there's some over here if you need some. All right. We're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to spend two weeks talking about this topic. And the reason um, it's so important is because every cult out there that you run into has a deficient view of the Trinity. Um, Some of them out and out deny the Trinity. Um, Others redefine it. Others uh, think, for example, that we serve three gods. We worship three gods. The God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's called tritheism. They accuse us, in fact, Islam accuses us of being tritheists. We worship three gods. And uh, when we look at this topic, it's one of those topics that in our own human mind we're not going to fully comprehend or grasp. How can there be three persons yet one God? Um, And so, again, what we're going to have to do is look at what the scripture says and just take it for what it says and believe it. And even though we're not going to sort out fully how this all works in our mind, we just take God at his word. God says he is three, yet one. And by the way, um, another important thing we're going to be looking at here is there's a lot of heretical issues coming out, even modern ones. Um, One of them called open theism that we're going to talk about really next week. Um, really attacks this um, idea of the Trinity. Um, so we're going to be looking at that as we go through. And also, one of the things you're going to find, a lot of times you run into cults today. For example, Jehovah Witnesses deny the Trinity. Um, they believe Jehovah is the one God and that Jesus Christ is a created being. Now, we're going to really sort through the whole created being part of Jesus Christ in Christology, where we're going to look at what they believe about Christ being created um, by God. And then Christ, of course, created everything else. That's how they get around this concept of Christ being the creator, yet created himself. Um, But, for example, they do not believe in the Trinity, but their heresy goes back a long ways. It goes back to the third century. And what you find in a lot of cults today that have an aberrant view of the Trinity is it's nothing new. They they don't come up with new stuff. Um, This is stuff that's been recycled. They put a different name on it, and they couch it in different terms, but it's something that's already been dealt with in church history. And it's interesting that the first uh, seven ecumenical councils, we call them the global councils of the church, where the church met together, um, for example, Nicaea, Chalcedon, Ephesus, all of them were dealing with some aspect of the Trinity. Almost every one of them had to deal with, is Jesus really God or isn't he? Is the Holy Spirit deity or not? Um, and they had to sort that out. And that's all been sorted out. But what you see in the cults today is a lot of them come back and they just give a new spin on some old theology or old doctrine that's been out there and has been answered by the church. So it's important to go back and look historically at this. So that's what we're going to be doing. What is the definition of the Trinity? Definition, God is one and yet is manifested in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are the same in substance but distinct in subsistence. Now, one thing that that you're going to start hearing a lot about, especially in in this class and in Christology when we start looking at the doctrine of Christ, is this term here, substance and subsistence. Those are two important terms. What we mean by substance is that the essential essence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are identical. There is no difference. 
And the reason this is important is because in church history, that was the big argument. Um, at the Council of Nicaea, for example, that we're going to talk about in detail in Christology, the argument was, is Jesus Christ of the same substance as the Father? Is he of a similar substance to the Father? Or is he of a like substance to the Father? And depending on where you landed on that argument, depending on how you viewed Christ. Some said, well, Christ is of a similar substance. He, he's not God, but he's similar to God. It's, it's close, but it's not really God. And that's where the Jehovah Witnesses come in. Yeah, Jesus is God, but he's not God like God is God. He's, of its, he's similar, but not the same. Yeah. This, the essential essence of God. It's, it's, it's what we try to use to, to describe the essential essence of what God is, whatever that is. Now, we can't define that essence, but we say that, that when you look at Christ, you look at the Father, you look at the Holy Spirit, they are the same substance. There, there's no difference between them. One is not less God than the other one. See, and that's where a lot of the heresies come in. Because a lot of people say, now wait a minute, you know, um, how can there be three distinct persons yet one God? They're, they, they, Christ must be different in some, some respect. And the way we understand that difference is Christ has a different person. He is a different personality, a different person, but he is God. And the God the Father is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. Now, a lot of times what people have trouble with is they say, well, now, I, 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 that doesn't make sense. Because remember when Christ was here, Christ said, the Father sent me. All right? So if Christ is of, a similar, is of the same substance as the Father, and there's no essential difference between the Father and the Son, then how could the Father send the Son since they're equal? They're both God. And the answer to that, the answer to understand that, is in the drama of redemption, when it comes to redemption. When it comes to the plan of God and redemption, Jesus Christ took the form, as it says in Philippians, we're going to talk about this in Philippians, He took the form of a servant. And Jesus Christ was sent by the Father. Not that Jesus Christ was somehow inferior to the Father. He was not. He is equally God, equally deity all in every aspect, every Every characteristic that we've talked about so far, Christ has all of those. So he is not distinct in his deity. Rather, in the drama of redemption, Christ voluntarily took upon himself the form of a servant. The Holy Spirit took upon himself to be the agent of regeneration, of conviction. And it's not that any member of the Trinity is inferior to the other member. Rather, in the plan of redemption, each member took a role. And the role that Christ took was to be sent by the Father to become the Savior. We're going to talk more about this. But the thing to understand right at the outset is there is no essential difference between the Father and the Son in terms of deity. They're both equally 100% deity. God, co-eternal, co-equal, co-divine, co-omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. All of those characteristics are the same for all three members of the Trinity. Yeah. All members of the Trinity share all attributes of the Trinity in equal measure. All right. 
And the only reason sometimes, and, and this is the thing to understand too, we'll, we'll talk more about it later, but the reason the Bible talks about Father, Son, Holy Spirit is it helps us to understand the relationship. It's a relational term. It's not a term that the Son had his origin from the Father. And see, that's where the Jehovah Witnesses, a lot of these people go. They say, well, if Jesus is the Son of God, that means God is his Father, so God is the origin of Christ. God had to somehow create Christ. Those are accommodational terms to help us understand the relationship between them. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the, the, the best representation of the Father was the Son. That's how they understood it in their culture. All right, and we'll sort that out a little bit better later. Some corollary truths out of this is this. There's not three gods, but one God. We're not tritheists. We don't believe in three separate gods. There's one God. Each person in the Trinity exists as a separate personality with will, emotions, and intellect. Each, they're three distinct persons. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve Christ. You can bring sadness to God, the Father. They're, they're, they, they, there's three distinct personalities. And here's the big thing. Each person in the Trinity exists in perfect harmony with the other two. There's no disharmony in the Trinity. There's, there's no jockeying for position. There's no competition at any level. They exist in perfect, complete harmony. And they have for all of eternity, and they will for all of eternity. Dan. Right. Because he doesn't, um, he doesn't hold that they're co-eternal. Um, so when we say manifested here, we're not saying that it's like, well, this is how he appears, you know, here and how he appears there. So that there are in existence at the same time. That at the same time. Just, just wanted to clear up in case yeah. Pardon? Can you redefine subsistence? I'm not sure everybody got it. The idea of subsistence there is it's talking about, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Think about it as uh, they, they exist as three separate beings, as personalities, not beings. That's wrong. Again, when you start talking about the Trinity, it's hard to come up with the right words. Three distinct personalities, three distinct um, per, uh, beings, but one God. All right, and, and it's tough to describe that. It's tough to understand that. By the way, T.D. Jakes, um, he's a charismatic pastor that a lot of people watch on TVN, which you shouldn't be watching if you are. Um, but uh, T.D. Jakes, that's called modalistic monarchianism. We're going to talk about that. It's a fancy word. Um, that's a heresy that's been dealt with in history. So he's a modern-day modalist. Modalist means God, one God exists in three modes, in the Old Testament, he was the Father. In the New Testament, he's the Son. In the church age, he's the Holy Spirit. The problem with that is what do you do at the baptism of Christ when he is there? The Spirit descends. The voice out of heaven, the Father says, Thou art my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And you've got the Holy Spirit descending. You've got all three at the same time. So is God quickly flipping between his modes? I don't think so. There's three distinct personalities. Um, other definitions. Um, these are from some systematic theologies, Wayne Grudem. 
Um, systematic theology says we may define the Trinity as follows. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. There is only one and true God, but in the unity of the Godhead there are three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the same in substance, but different in subsistence. The way they, they exist separately, but they're the same substance. That's a, a Moorfield in the Trinity. Um, God asserts in many passages there's no other God except Him. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these passages. You can do those on your own. If we do, we won't get through our 57 slides in two weeks. Um, we're on 457. So the whole idea here is that if you look at these passages, God, exi- God asserts in multiple places there is only one God. In fact, in Isaiah, God says, I am the only God. I don't know of any other God other than me. And since I know everything, there must not be another one. I am alone God. There is no other. And yet, when you look at the Hebrew, the name for God, Elohim, that I am ending there, is the plural ending. It's like S for us. And throughout the Old Testament, you find the word Elohim used with the singular verb with it. All right? Which indicates that there's a plurality in unity. And interesting, the word Akkad used in Genesis 2.4 is the same as in Deuteronomy 6.4. In Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, that word Akkad there is it's like a bunch of grapes. Talk about a bunch of grapes. There's a bunch of grapes in the bunch of grapes. We call it a bunch of grapes. Although there's plurality and unity. And throughout the Old Testament, even in the actual words used to describe God, there's the hint of plurality and unity. God is three, yet one. Now, the full understanding of the Trinity is not seen in the Old Testament that we see in the New. But it's, never, it's there, nevertheless, in many passages. And I would encourage you to go home and uh, look these passages up and read them. All right? And you'll see that there's plurality and unity. The deity of three, all three are equally God. There's no one member that is more God than the other member of the Trinity. Throughout the Old Testament, for example, the Father is seen as God. There's a little question about the God's deity. In fact, even the, even the cults get this one right. God the Father is God. The Jehovah Witnesses will say that, that Jehovah is God. All right, so they got that piece right. However... Christ is worshipped as God. What do you know about worship in the Bible? Who should get worship? God, right? Whenever an angel got worship, what did the angel do? Don't worship me. Get up. What are you worshipping me for? It's almost a sense of horror. Don't bow down to me. And yet, throughout the Scripture, Christ, even in the New Testament, Christ received worship, did he not? Now, what, what can you conclude? Either Christ is an idolater, right? Because he is taking worship. If he's not God and he's accepting worship, then they're committing idolatry. Or he is God. One or the other. Christ accepts worship. He proclaimed himself God in John 8. Before Abraham was, I am. Alright? He's said to be God by God himself. Hebrews 1. Just read Hebrews 1. Talking about the Son. Thy throne, O God, is forever. Talking about the Son. Um, in Philippians 2, we talk about this 
idea of substance. That's really where it comes up, Philippians 2, who being in the substance, the, the, being in the exact morphe, and the Greek word I think is morphe, it's the substance. He's in the exact substance of God, did not think it's something to be grasped, but rather he took upon himself the form, schema, of a servant. Externally, Christ looked like a servant. Internally, morphe, essential character, essential essence, he was God. In fact, the word used there is isos. Remember when isosceles triangle is? Two equal sides? Christ is isos with God. He is equal with God. There's no distinction. And then in Acts 5, we have this interesting account of Ananias and Sapphira, right? Remember them? And it says there... Uh, and the nice and Sapphira, he said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Didn't you know that when you did that, you were lying to God? Now, what would you assume about the Holy Spirit and God? Same, right? If you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. Same thing. So throughout the Bible, you see all three members of the Trinity being described in terms of deity. Yes? Um, not in its fullest sense. Not in the fullest sense. It's there. I can put it. It's there, but they didn't pick up on it. Alright? For example, why did they have such a problem with Christ? Because again, again, they said, you are a man claiming to be what? God. You can't do that. There's only one God. So they didn't catch on. All right. Now, when, now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we look back at the Old Testament, well, what a bunch of idiots. They should have figured that one out. You know what? If you were there, you wouldn't have figured it out either. It had to be revealed. How, how is it that, that Peter was able to make his confession of Christ? The Father revealed it to him. The Father didn't reveal it to him. He would have been just as dumb as a box of rocks. He wouldn't have figured it out either. And, and the thing is, when we look back on it, see, we have the... Um, just a we have the, uh, all of our understanding of history and, and our current, um, all of our knowledge now, we look back on it and we sort of think, well, they should have figured that out. Well, they weren't, we weren't in their shoes. We didn't have the benefit of all this history and the benefit of the New Testament where it clearly shows that Jesus is God. Yes? The Jews were waiting for a Messiah. Yes. What were they expecting the Messiah to be? A man. No, they weren't looking for God. They were looking. They were not looking for the God Man. They were looking for a political ruler that would come and would cast the Romans out of the land and restore Israel to glory. That's what they wanted. And when this guy came along, talking about repentance and all that, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Yes. Because he's going to promise them peace and prosperity. That's what they were looking at, you know. Um, that's what, and you got to understand that at, when you were a Jew, you were brought up looking for this Messiah who's going to come and going to restore Israel to its glory. And uh, for a minute there, you thought it was Christ, and then he starts talking about dying on a cross, and he starts talking about repentance. You know, that doesn't sound like a leader to me. He's not drawing. He's not getting an army together. He's not doing any of that stuff. And so they became disillusioned. They were not looking. For Christ, for who He was. Now, 
Now, of course, for us, when we look back at the Old Testament, we say, well, what a bunch of idiots. They should have figured it out from Isaiah 53. How dull can they be? Well, look, folks, you need to understand, if the Holy Spirit didn't open your eyes, how dull would you be? You know, we, we, we sometimes we're too hard on them, thinking that they should have figured it out. We have the Holy Spirit to help us figure this out. And even with the Holy Spirit, there's some things we don't figure out. All right? Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just did not pick up on it. They did not pick up the clarity of the Trinity. How do we understand the Trinity being what it is? Without the New Testament, we would have hints, but there would be no clarity. Yeah. Yes. They didn't pick up on that. They didn't pick up on it. Yeah. Even now. You know, Orthodox Jews do not accept Christ as being their Messiah. You know. Yeah, I, I haven't studied what they believe on that. I just know historically they did not pick up on it. Yes. That's right. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole thing there is, one of our problems is we look back and we say, well, how can the people in the Old Testament, how could they have missed it? Folks, if we were there, we would have missed it too. Okay? And the only reason that you understand what you understand is because the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. And if the Holy Spirit did not give you understanding, you would think we're a bunch of idiots and you'd be out of here as quick as you could get out of here. That's right. That's right. Dan, you were going to say something? I'm sorry. Yeah, a quick note on the, uh, on the plural verses in the Old An emphasis. It didn't make sense to them to translate it any other way than they did. Okay, and just like you, you gotta understand, just like um, the whole doctrine of, of salvation, the whole doctrine of Christ's death on a cross, was that in the Old Testament? Clearly, no. Was it hinted at? Sure, but it was not clearly there. We understand that because we're looking back through history and we see it clearly. But originally, it's tough to figure that out from just the text of the Old Testament. Yeah. So it seems to me that given our inability to move all the revelation that we are 
practice. And I would think that the Jews, even though they studied one of the things that says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 God saying you know I'm not like you my ways aren't your ways my thoughts aren't your thoughts thoughts uh, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. God is saying, I'm so far beyond you that even if I told you the truth, you wouldn't get it. So there's an incomprehensibility factor that we have to just accept. And even though it's contradictory in our minds, it's what the Bible teaches. You've got to go with it. So what are the names of God? Well, they're accommodational terms. They help us understand the relationship between the members in the Trinity. They're accommodational. All right? In no way, and this is very important, very important, in no way do the names imply some superiority-inferiority relationship. That's a heresy that came in later called subordinationism. It's not that Jesus Christ, you know, in eternity past, the God the Father and God the Son um, flipped a coin to see who had to be the Savior. And Christ got stuck with it. No, it didn't work that way. They did not arm wrestle and Christ lose. That didn't work that way. Then the plan of God, Christ voluntarily, joyfully, gladly, with great anticipation, took upon himself the role that the Trinity had designed for him to take. The Father took a role. The Holy Spirit took a role. And each member of the Trinity, although being equal in power, in deity, and every other aspect, voluntarily took upon themselves the roles that they played in redemption. Therefore, when Christ said, the Father sent me. I've come to do the will of the Father. He is not saying, the Father is bigger, stronger, smarter than me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, in the drama of redemption, I have taken this role. I do what the Father has given me. That's the plan. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at there? I'm beating the horse, but it's really important to understand this. It's just like, it's just like if three or four people decide to form a company. Somebody's got to be the president. Somebody's got to be this. Somebody's got to be that. You take upon a role. It's not that one is smarter necessarily than the other. It's that each one takes a role in order to accomplish a task. And, that, and the, that's what happened in the drama of redemption. And it's interesting. It takes all, all three members of the Trinity are involved in your redemption, which is interesting. And we're going to talk about that more in, in later classes. If we do now, we'll never get through this. Um, I'm going to go through this a little bit fast, only because if I go through it slow, we'll never get done. <laughs> um, but when you look at the Trinity, this is one of the doctrines that the church really wrestled with throughout history. Now, understand what we mean by this. Let me, let me explain what we mean. It's not that, and this is very important, it's not that the church was defining the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? If by that you mean they're trying to come up with it. Okay? Rather, they are trying to understand the doctrine that is already there. See what the difference is? There's a big difference. Because what happens is, you get a lot of these guys, if you watch the History Channel too much and start looking at some of these things, you know, they're going to say, well, you know, the church at the Council of Nicaea defined um, the deity of Christ. That was something that the church really didn't believe in, but that was when they officially said, ah, let's all believe this. That's not the way it works. That's not the way the church councils work. The way the church councils work is they try to define what was already believed. 
They're trying to put substance to The doctrine of the Trinity is in the Bible. Okay, how can we understand that? How do we define that? And many times in church history, it wasn't how do we define it, but how do we define it in terms of some heresy that's coming along and distorting it? In fact, what you find a lot of times is the heresies of the church really, the heresies in history really defined, helped us define our doctrine. When Arius came along and said Jesus was a created being, the church got together and tried to sort out, okay, wait a minute, we've got to answer this. And that's where you get the Nicene Creed and things like that come out of that, the Council of Nicaea. So it's not that the church is defining the doctrine of the Trinity. Rather, the church is clarifying what the Bible says about this doctrine. Okay? There's a big difference. Okay? So, when you look at the Trinity in history, you've got uh, some... The economic view, I'm going to go through this real quick, the economic view. We're going to spend a little bit more time on dynamic and modalistic monarchianism because there are flavors of that now. T.D. Jakes is a modalistic monarchian. All right? So you can use that fancy term when somebody asks you about T.D. Jakes. Well, he's a modalist. And they'll say, what do you mean by that? And you can tell them where you found that out. Um, Then there's the orthodox view here. Um, The economic view was advanced by Tertullian, who was a church father in Hippolytus in the 2nd century. This won't be on the test. This is just for your information, so you understand how it's worked through history. But what they do is they say that the one God is seen in three distinct manifestations of a single substance. Each manifestation can be seen and counted. Each is merely a part of God. So you've got one... They're not quite modalists here. But they say there's one substance. But that one substance is manifested in various ways... One way is it's manifested as the Holy Spirit, another is the Father, another is the Son. Alright? So the, it's not that there are three distinct personalities, okay, which is the Orthodox view. Rather, there's one God that's manifested in three distinct, they call them manifestations. Alright? And so what they would say is that the Word, and this is the big one, you know, the Word from John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word. What they would do is they would link the word with God as a manifestation of God, but not as a distinct personality. Okay, that's the difference. Don't, and that's, that's about, you know. One of the things they did, they didn't try to explore the relationship with the Trinity, between the members of the Trinity. That's one of the things the Bible talks about a lot. There's a relationship between the Father and the Son, between the Son and the Holy Spirit. They relate to one another because they're personalities. They, of course they would relate. But they did not try to explore the relationship. Rather, the emphasis was on the way in which God was manifest or, or the, the relationships between the manifestation was seen in creation and redemption. So he taught, and this is Latin, there is a distinction between the, the manifestations. There is a, or distribution, distinction or distribution, but they're not a division, they're not a separate personality. Does that make any sense? They're a distinct manifestation, but they're not a separate personality. Okay? It's still the same substance, the same thing. Alright? So thus, in his view, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one identical substance. This substance has been extended into three manifestations, but not divided into a personality. They're manifested, but not divided. Does that make any sense? Any blank looks on... Okay? What we say, 
the Orthodox view is that no, are, they are divided. There is a distinct son there. <laughs> it's not a manifestation of one God. He, Christ is not a manifestation of God. He is God. A distinct personality. Okay? So we go farther than that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Tertullian was one of the church fathers. You know, and understand what he's trying to do here. We look at that and we say, well, that's not right. That's not, a, that's not the proper view of the Trinity. Um, well, let me ask you a question, okay? When you get to heaven, are you going to be quizzed on the Trinity before they allow you in? No. Now, what you can't do is you can't deny that Jesus is God. That's something you can't do. But God is not going to say, okay, now you've got to understand that before I let you in. Because if it is, nobody's going to get into heaven. All right? Tertullian was not a bad guy. Tertullian was trying to figure out the Trinity. And he got some of it right, but he didn't go far enough. So he's not a heretic. All right? He still believed the deity of Christ. He just didn't understand how is that manifested. He's sorting it out in his mind. Now, these guys here go a little farther. They're, they're more problematic. But all of us have struggled with this. You've got to admit it, right? All of you have struggled with trying to figure out the Trinity. And they talk about, well, the egg, you know, you got the shell, you got the yolk, you got the white, you know, ices. you got water's ice and water and vapor and all of those things. All of those are approximations. Okay? Dynamic monarchianism. Monarchianism, mona arche, means soul sovereignty. It was an it was attempt to, to elevate God back up to being the sole sovereign divine ruler of the universe. And it came out of this group called the Alogoi. We'll talk about them later. But Ah is negative, Logos, word. They denied the deity of Christ. They are the Alogoi. They did not believe in the deity of the word. Okay? It was first propounded by a guy named Theodotus. He was a Byzantine leather worker. And um, he was fully orthodox in his view about God's omnipotence. In other words, God is all-powerful. He believed in the virgin birth. He believed in the creation of the world. But he believed, prior to Jesus' baptism, he was merely a virtuous man. So he, he had trouble. You know, if God is sole sovereign ruler, then Christ can't be God, is the argument he came to. All right? And so, now let me ask you, here's a test question. Is he, is he, is he going to be in heaven if he believes this? Not your question. No. no. Why? If you do not believe that Jesus is God, you don't go to heaven. Period. That's the end of the discussion. You can believe everything else, but you've got to believe that Jesus is God. You may not understand it, but you can't deny it. This is heretical. This is yeah. This is this now. This he's gone heretical. He's gone heretical. All right. And he believed that prior to Jesus' baptism, he was just a virtuous, good man. All right? And I think, did we talk about Serenthian Gnosticism yet? Serenthian, we'll talk more about this. This is another flavor. This is seen in the New Age movement. This is recycled in the New Age. And some of the things, uh, Shirley MacLaine and all those guys. But Serenthian Gnosticism basically says Jesus was just this virtuous guy walking around Palestine. And at his baptism, the Christ Spirit came upon him and empowered him for his ministry. Prior to his death, the Christ Spirit left him. So the person that died on the cross was just a Jew. 
not the Savior of the world, not God. All right? And they talk about this Christ spirit. That's what Corinthian Gnosticism believes. And by the way, that's taught a lot in the New Age movement. If you pick up a lot of books on the New Age, they talk about Maitreya, the Christ spirit, things like that. Um, that's all recycled stuff. And so what he says is that at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit, or Christ, descended on Jesus, the man, Jesus the man, and from that point on he performed miracles. So he was not God. Jesus Christ was not God. Rather, the Christ Spirit came upon him and he performed miracles. All right, But he was really a man. Others um, went farther and said, well, after the Christ Spirit came upon Christ, or Jesus, he then became divine. So, man becomes divine. Now, go figure that one out. That sounds like the word faith crowd today, where you're really little gods. That's not what the Bible teaches. Alright? Um, so, really, what the upshot of dynamic Marknarchianism, what it's saying, is that there's one sole sovereign ruler, God. Christ is merely a man. I should say Jesus is merely a man. And he had the power of God come upon him to perform his miracles. But Jesus was not God. He was not divine. Okay? He was just a man. Um, Paul of Samosata furthered this. And basically he said, um, the Logos, the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. How do we understand that? Who's the Word? Christ. Okay? It's pretty clear what John's talking about. But what he says is that the Logos is not a personal, self-subsistent entity. In other words, there's no personality to it. Rather, it is just an, imper- an attribute of God. The Word is an attribute of God. It's not God. It's just an, one of His attributes. And this power, this attribute of God descended on Jesus at His baptism, at which point He became somewhat divine. But He was not divine to start out with. He was not deity. And what this caused was a moral union between Jesus and God, a moral union, so much so that we could call him the Son of God, but he was really not the Son of God in the sense of being God. Rather, he was sort of became that by this Christ Spirit coming upon him. And in this respect, he was sort of adopted by God. So that's where the dynamic monarchianism comes in. He was adopted by God. See what they're going, see what they're doing here. Christ is not... Jesus, I'm just keep saying, Jesus is not God, rather, God sort of adopted him by sending a spirit upon him, or sending this logos, which is an impersonal force upon Christ, but really Christ is not God. All of these deny Christ is God. Christ is not God, they say. Rather, he is just a unique individual that God used um, in his plan, but he's not deity. They deny the deity. Lucian of Antioch um, also came into this. These are just some guys. And, and what you're seeing is you start seeing um, the beginnings here of Arianism a little bit. He said, God is one. Everything else is created. All right? God is God alone. God the Father is alone. Everything else is created. So the Logos is not eternal. It's neither an eternal pre-existent member of the Trinity. It's not eternal attribute. Rather, the Logos is created. Now, that's exactly what the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you when they come to your door. They come to your door, and you ask them, who is Jesus? He, they say, well, he's a God. Define that. What do you mean by he's a God? Well, um, Je- uh, Jehovah God created Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else. That's what they say. All right? And by splitting the, the, the word, the logos, from God, they make it a created 
thing. All right, and that's where Lucian started, and that's where Arianism picked up and ran with this. And that's what the Jehovah Witnesses believe today. Jesus is not God. Rather, he is just uh, he's a created being. Christ was a created being, an exalted being nevertheless, but he was created. And Christ is the one that then created everything else. All right? So that's the spin that we have there. Um, They say that God created Christ, then Christ created everything else. So he always was. No, he wasn't. He had a beginning. The mere fact, understand, the mere fact that you are created means you have a beginning. The beginning was before anything else existed. All right? So the first thing that God the Father did all by himself is he created this Logos, this word, Christ. And then this Christ created everything else. Okay, so the universe was created by that which God created. Okay? They, they put Christ in between the eternal God and the creation. So Christ created the world. And that's really what they, they believe. And the common element between all of these guys, they're just giving different spins on the same thing, but the common element is that God was dynamically present in the life of Christ, but Christ was not God. That's where you get dynamic monarchism. He was there... God was there. He certainly uh, empowered Christ. But Christ, Jesus, the man, was not God. He wasn't. Okay? And later on, this developed into Arianism, which uh, the church had to deal with at the Council of Nicaea. And Arianism is nothing more than your modern-day Jehovah Witnesses. No different. All right? Modalistic monarchianism, we talked about that just a little bit earlier. Um, it was pretty popular. Um, and what it tried to do is it tried to, it, it, it really wanted to say, no, Jesus is God. It wanted to affirm the deity of Christ. Um, so they weren't like the dynamic monarchianisms. And it was first taught by Noetus of Smyrna and Praxis in the third century. Sibelius is another guy that came up with this. Um, and if you read um, church history or church uh, theologies and that, you might run across this name called Sibelianism. Sabellianism is really modalistic monarchianism. Now, what is this flavor? Um, the basic idea here is that there's a single Godhead that is variously known throughout scriptures as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In other words, he has, mani- he has manifested this differently in each period of church history. For example, I used to be a boy, then I became a man, right? Same, same person, right? But... Through time, I am seen differently. And now I'm getting to be an old man. All right? Um, but we, we see things differently. You're, you're seen as different. You're the same person. It's just that you're manifested in a different way in time. And so what they would do is, you know, boy, man, father. All right? Same person, but just a different manifestation of that person seen at different perspectives at different times. So they say the singular God, the, the God of the creator God, in the Old Testament is known as Jehovah. In the New Testament, that God is seen as Christ. And in the church age, that God is seen as the Holy Spirit. It's the same God. He just takes upon himself three different modes or manifestations. So they would say that Jesus is God... But they would say that Jesus is not God in the, in the essence of, in the, in the idea of plurality, but in the essence of singularity. He is God. Yes? 
A, a lot of them are just trying to struggle through, slog through, what does it mean that Jesus is God and yet there is one God? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to understand that. And what this is illustrating, this is a very important, this is one of the reasons I'm doing this. You say, well, this is boring. I hope it's not boring. But one of the reasons we're doing this is because whenever you try to take your human reason and you try to sort out the infinite God and try to explain it in terms other than what the scripture just tells you, you're going to wind up down one of these paths. You've got to allow the mystery to exist. You've got to allow the Bible to say there's one God, and yet the scriptures say Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are fully divine. Okay, I don't understand that, but I'm going to go with it. I don't figure, I, and when you start trying to figure it out and sorting it out, trying to explain it, you're going to wind up in trouble every time, because your mind is not going to be able to fully comprehend the infinite God. You're just not going to be able to do that. The God the Father was seen, Jehovah was seen in the Old Testament as God. Christ in the, the, you know, when he was on the earth, that was the manifestation of God. Then you've got the Holy Spirit in the church age. But they're the same God, they're just, they're just seen as three distinct perspectives. Alright, now that's different than the first one we were talking about, the economic view where there are three manifestations. This says, no, it's distinct, but it's the same person. It's the same God, you just see him three different ways. There's no, there's not three distinct personalities, okay? Now, one of the things then that you wind up with is if you believe this, all right, then you have this thing called patripassionism. That was a big thing that one of the church councils dealt with. What's patripassionism? Well, what do you think patri is? Father. Passionism. The passion, the death on the cross. So that, that would say that God the Father died on the cross. Right? If there's only one God manifested in three distinct modes, all right, not three distinct personalities, three distinct modes, then who died on the cross? The Father did. All right? And this was considered heretical. So this really is one of the points that really started people looking at this. When you start looking at the implications of modalistic monarchianism, you wound up with a lot of bad theology coming out of that. that Cause them to go back and really define this as a heresy. All right? Yeah. Don't we kind of think that, though? I mean, I think I kind of was raised kind of thinking that that is actually God, God, the Father. Did God die on the cross? Yes. Did the Father die on the cross? No. He didn't. Who died on the cross? Christ did. God the Father did not die on the cross. Christ was the sin bearer, not God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit. You've got to go with it. You've got to go with it. God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Son did. The same personality. Yet God died on the cross. So, I Start pulling your hair. Yeah. God loved you so much that he... God died for you in the sense that God, the, God the, the Son took your place on the cross. Not God the Father. The Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. But you could say that God died for the believer. Could you say that or is that your answer? 
that's not fully accurate. Okay? Because it, it could lead somebody to think something other than what you mean by what you say. Yeah. Right. Yes? Yeah. Right. And that's that's and you point out something very important there. When you start thinking of God in terms of our experience, you're going to miss it because he's not like us. God is not like us. Okay? And whenever we try to explain God in terms that we comprehend and understand, we're going to reduce him to something he is not. So what we have to do is we have to just scratch our heads and say, look, I don't understand this, but the Bible says there are three distinct personalities, one God. says God the Son died on the cross for my sins, not the Father. I don't understand that, but I believe it. I'll go with it. Yeah, he is still God. Yeah. God died on the cross. If by that you mean God the Son died on the cross, yes. If you mean by that the Trinity died on the cross, no. That's not what the scripture says. And also, the God of the dead theologian is sometimes wrong with that. You know, when you say God died on the cross, well, definitely he did. The, the Son died, that is God dying on the cross. It's not the whole Trinity at once. Um, but there are those who want to take that and say, oh, well, this is where, and some actually do believe that God is a theology, that God literally died and that the, the deity of the universe ceased to exist in the form that we understood. Um, one thing, but of course that's not true. So that's, that's why we, we have to be so careful with our wording that we use, you know, I know we're, we're in an altar right now um, in the church where it's, it's very easy to say, well, I don't know what you meant by that. Or, you know, well, you know, in a way that's true. Well, it's very important that we use and in many cases, very technically logical terms as much as possible without confusing people because your wording can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, I also wanted to make just a couple of thoughts on, um, on our use of person. Um, Alan's been saying personality, just, just so it's clear. Like, we are talking about not a, um, like a, a plurality of, uh, like we think of uh, what's, you know, when somebody has multiple personality disorder. We're talking about distinct persons. So I want to make sure we're, yeah. much as we can't even use that word, like distinct persons, uh, not just personalities. And it's important, just, just want, you know, Dan brought up a good point there. It's important that we be somewhat precise. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, if a Jehovah Witness has come to your door, you ask them, is Jesus God? They say, yeah, he's a God. You say, wonderful, they, they, they're, they're, they're Christians. No, they're not. Because when you start defining, well, what do you mean by that? Then you find that they mean something totally different than what you mean. When the Mormons come to your door... And they have come to mind. And they say, Jesus is God. They mean something totally different than what we understand it to be. And when you find out, well, Jesus who? This is important. When somebody says they believe in Jesus, you say, okay, which Jesus do you believe in? There's a lot of them out there, you know. You've got the Jesus of the New Age. You've got the Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses. You've got the Jesus of Mormonism. You've got the Jesus of the New Age. You've got the Jesus of the Bible. Which one is it? And you've got to be very precise to understand, if you don't get the right Jesus, you miss heaven. Period. All right? You just don't go there. 
So when you become a Mormon and you believe that Jesus was a procreated spirit offspring of Elohim with one of his many celestial wives, you miss heaven. That's what they believe. I don't know if you knew that. But by the way, Jesus is our half-brother in their theology. We're the spirit offsprings of Elohim as well. Um, it's really a wild theology. So when, when we talk about technical terms, when we talk about being precise, it's not just saying, oh, you know, you're just trying to split hairs. You know, what is... Look, it's very important. It's very important that we be precise on this. You can follow up a lot of other doctrines and still get to heaven. You can't follow up Jesus and get there. If you mess up Jesus, you're not going to make it to heaven, period. You've got to get this one right. And what you find here is in history, you find a lot of people trying to sort this out. And whenever they use their own human intellect to try and understand in detail the infinite God, they wind up as a Sabellian, they wind up as a monarchist, they wind up as some other, in some other heresy. Because we can't understand God in our terms. We've got to let God tell us what he's like and just say, okay, I'll go with that. You know, um, I know I'm beating a dead horse there, but it's very important you know, that we let God tell us what he's like, not try to make him be like what we think he ought to be like. Yeah. Well, now you've got me scared because, because of it's so important. I, I believe that, that God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in one. Mm-hmm. You believe as best you can. I do, too. I don't understand it any better than you do. You're not supposed to. Nobody does. What's important, I think what's important here, this is what's important. It's not important that you fully comprehend in all of its theological concepts the Trinity. Because nobody will understand that. Okay? What is important is that you do not deny that Jesus is God. You do not deny that the Holy Spirit is God. That, that's important. That, that's, that's, that's where you need to go. If you do not believe that Jesus is the I Am... He's not God. He's not your Savior. Everything unravels. It's not being fully comprehended. Does that make any sense? Let's say it this way. It's not that we have to understand how they fully harmonize. We just have to recognize the truth. The issue is that we, especially with Jesus, that we recognize that He is both fully God and fully man. There is no way in four-dimensional space-time logic to explain that fully. What we have to do is recognize that human logic is flawed, and we, we just essentially have to say, all right, I believe this and I believe this. I don't yet understand fully how it goes together, but I believe it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have a, an idea of understanding so much as a recognition of the facts. What happens is so many times we take something that God has revealed to us, and then we want to take the next logical step with our flawed human logic. And we see, that, we see this in a lot of things. We say, well, if God says this, well, then, then logic would say this. Well, our logic is flawed. He's only revealed but this much to us, which is all we need. He reveals as much as we need. And when we take, we can take logic and apply it, but as we do, we have to counter judge it with what he said over here. So sometimes people say they want to get so much on the on how pure the deity of Christ is that then they want to start denying certain things about humanity. Well, then you, 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 you've gotten off track on your logic. You're taking your logic to a step it doesn't need to go to. I've heard of... Um, I've heard people saying, well, you know, we're the children of God, Jesus is God's son, so that means we're God, just like Jesus is God. Well, that's ridiculous. That's someone not comparing Scripture with Scripture, which is what we do. Yeah. And that's good theology when we do that. And so uh, I think we get way too caught up in this. I mean, if, 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 if 
if the criteria for going to heaven is making sure that you understand all your theology in detail, well, then none of us will make it. What matters is that you recognize those vital truths, even though we might not have them systematized perfectly. You know? Yeah, that's the important thing. Yeah, Ruth. I sympathize with her because if you if you're in a teaching position and you have somebody come at you, <laughs> yeah. Personality. Yeah. Distinct personality. And, and and that's what you gotta go with. It's like what Dan said, whenever you start trying to take the next logical step with our flawed thinking, we're gonna try to make God into something that we are familiar with, which is not what he is like. Okay? That's the tough thing. Um the problem with this particular form, I want to get through just a little bit more here, is that um, what happens when you have all three members appear together? Like at the baptism, you know, of Christ. You have all three members there in one verse. Um, they have trouble explaining that, okay? Um, tritheism is a, is a rank heresy. It just says there's three gods. you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's three different gods, all right? Don't even need to talk about that. That is clearly heretical. That, by the way, is what we are accused of being by a lot of people who don't understand. Say, well, you guys are tritheists. You know, you believe in three gods. No. I believe in one God manifested in three distinct personalities. That's not three gods. Okay? Um, subordinationism is another heresy. Um, it basically says that uh, one member of the Trinity is inferior to the other. Um, for example, they say, well, the Father sent the Son, which would imply some kind of subordinate relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, yes, if you mean by that in the drama of redemption, the Son was sent. No, if you mean by that, the Son is eternally subordinate to the Father. Okay? It's not, that's, not, that's not the case. Each member is 100% identical in power and attributes and deity with every other, the other two members. So what's the orthodox definition of the Trinity? It's developed a series of debates over the first four centuries and was assisted by the heretical movements. You know, the heresies come along and they would have to refine, well, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? It's not that they created the doctrine of the Trinity. Rather, they tried to take the doctrine of the Trinity that was found in the Scripture and put some substance to that so that we could understand it in, in our own limited way. Um, let me see how far I want to. Um, I'm going to run out of time here. Um, let's see, we're at 2357. Let's do this. I'm, I'm going to skip. I'm, I'm going to let you read um, the uh, these next few slides here because if I don't, we'll never get through them. Let me park on this one just a minute here. Um, the definition from Constantinople was. Usia in three hypostases means God exists in three modes, all right, of one substance, being or hypostasis substance. Each individual substance is a single um, usia mode 
of God distinguished only by characteristics peculiar to each individual member. Let me explain what it means by that. You've got the same substance of God. There's a similar substance. Hypostasis. He's the same substance, but he is distinct in his personality. That's what they're trying to get at. There's distinctness in personality, same substance. And that's an important concept to understand. Um, shoot, I'm going to run out of time here. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to run out of time. So let's do this. Read the next few slides. And you're going to be confused by them, but don't worry about it. And we will answer them next week because we're running out of time. Um, this is one I wish we could uh, keep going. <laughs> um, we're going to pick, huh? Yeah, I'm sort of stuck on there. Um, let's, let's read from, we're going to pick up with slide 23 next week. All right? And explain it. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble if I... We'll pick up slide 23. All right? But the thing to ponder as we, as we you know, close the class today is, is just understand this. The Bible says you've got one God, three distinct personalities. You're not going to figure it out. Go with it. All right? So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. And although it's very tough for us to fully comprehend this doctrine, it's a probably one of the most difficult ones to, to really understand. Help us just believe you and take your word for it. And we thank you for this time we've had to study. In Christ's name, amen.